Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, if you recall, we finished up uh, an ungodly chapter last week. And what I mean by that is God is not mentioned in all of chapter 34. You realize that, okay? When you read chapter 34, there's no mention of God. He was never invited into a gruesome and gross situation there in Shechem. And really what went down in Shechem was not good. You go, well, remind me, Ben. Okay, I'm glad you asked. If you recall, Jacob had a daughter. Her name was Dinah. And Dinah was taken by a fella named Shechem. Now, when I say taken, it wasn't by her own will. He actually took her, and the Bible says that he forced himself upon her. We call it rape. And then then it says that his soul fell in love with her, and he wanted to marry her. Now, by all worldly accounts, Shechem did it wrong. But nonetheless, he and his dad, Hamor, they come to negotiate a marriage. Dad, please, please, please. She is such a babe. Oh, Lord, go get her for me, Dad. And what he was wanting to do is he's wanting to unite the the godly people in the line of Jacob from the covenant of Abraham to a very sinful Canaanite people. God said early on, no, 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 nay, 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 that's not going to happen. Well, here comes Hamor and Shechem, and what they want to do is they want to negotiate a marriage. Now, let me take you back for just a moment. When dad Jacob heard the news that his daughter was defiled, okay, that came into his heart. Do you remember his reaction? His reaction was silence. And the Bible says, in, in, as far as silence goes, it was, it was basically, it was like he basically had made no decision. He made no decision. He heard it and he just kind of remained silent. And we asked the question, was this a good thing for dad or a bad thing? How would you react, dad? I mean, you find out some very, very disturbing news that your daughter was defiled and, and we said it, it could possibly be both. You go, well, how so? Well, I think it's good because I think Jacob stays silent initially. And by silent, he means that he made no decision in how to respond. He wanted to have the counsel of his sons, which was customary at the time. But I think it's so important. Why? I think when we're confronted with news and we, we're walking through this, I think it's so important that we make no rash decisions, but we pray. I think it's so important when a situation comes at you at life that you don't just jump, oh, well, this looks good. We've got to run. And I think that is the hardest thing for Christians to do because we truly want to follow the will of God. And sometimes we're trying to navigate, God, is this you? God, is this not you? What do I do? I'm not sure. And, And as the pastor of this church, I'm always struggling with the fact that I want to do, I want to be in God's perfect will and where he designs us to go. I have to call on others. Hey, what do you think? Where are we going? What's God put in your heart? Help me. Help me to see. And so I think it's good. I think it's good to seek God. I think it's good to get counsel from others. The Bible says there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. But I also think it's bad. Well, why? Well, I think about your baby girl being violated and defiled, indicating, guys, that Dinah was no longer suitable for marriage. 
And Jacob didn't do anything. He he just he should have dealt with Hamor and Shechem at least sharing his outrage to what they had done. At least he'd have said, "Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is wrong. What you did is wrong. You guys are un-. I mean, he should at least shared his heart. He didn't say anything. And you go, why? Because I started to think of Jacob in his older years. I wonder how many times throughout the years, guys, that Jacob thought, oh, if I would have only responded differently. Oh, if I would have only said something. I can't believe. I wonder how many times that maybe Dinah looked at him and said, Dad, Dad. And, and, and I know that experience. And so I think at the very least, Jacob should have stood up for his daughter. Well, because he doesn't, you guys know what happened, right? Jacob's son, Simeon and Levi... He, they convinced all the men to get circumcised before they would consider the marriage proposal, okay, which is crazy. And we talked about this last week. Guys, do you remember, how do you get somebody to, mot- how do you motivate them to do something they're not willing to do? Because I guarantee you, they weren't lining up going, hey, this sounds like a great thing. Let's go, right? Because you know this, that circumcision is, is the cutting off of the foreskin of a very private part. And so that's not something men are going to jump up and go, yeah, let's go. So, so how do you motivate them? I don't know how they did it. But for some reason, all of the men in Shechem said, okay, okay. Because it was the motivation of, of the promise of prosperity. Hey, we can intermingle. This will be great. Life's going to be good. Let's go. What's a little hurt now? For great prosperity later. Well, you guys know what happened, right? As soon as they were three days were into that, right? What happens is Simeon and Levi come in and they kill all the males in the city as well as Hamor and Shechem. I mean, it was a mass murder, a slaughter at Shechem. Now, the other brothers, they didn't have anything to do with it, but they came across the plunder. And the Bible says this. The Bible says that they took the plunder for themselves because they realized that their sister had been defiled, defiled. So in reality, church, chapter 34 is a godless chapter. It's filled with deceit, lust, murder, and even shame. And so when we now come to chapter 35, I want to put a smile on your face because it's the exact opposite of chapter 34. As a matter of fact, we learn that this is a God-filled chapter. His name appears 11 times in 29 verses, not to mention El Shaddai, not to mention God Almighty, not to mention Bethel, not to mention the house of God or the God of this place. This is just God 11 times. And so if you're taking notes, Genesis 35 records the first ever uh, revival in the Bible. Revival in the Bible. And so, of course, I thought, man, listen, what a great way to entitle this message. It's time for revival. Why, Pastor? For tonight, we learn that revival, listen to me, starts in the heart of one person, and then it spreads throughout the land. That's how revival starts. So, we're in day 62 of our current crisis. Day 62. And I believe that it's time for a revival. That's what we've been praying for. That's what we've been so asking God to do amongst the people. 
If you were here on Sunday, you realized that from this pulpit, I said that, listen, the building is simply a tool, but the church has got to go out. We've got to go out and we need to win lost souls for Jesus. How are we going to do that? We're going to do that on a physical plane. We're going to go out and we want to, we're going to, we're going to engage the people of our city, but we're also going to do it via what? Via podcast? We want to get this out via radio. We want to get this out via, you know, live stream, whatever it takes. But that's what we need to do. We want to see revival. I think it's time for revival. What, what would your world look like if all of your friends, all of your family would start coming to the Lord in droves? What would your Lord, what would your world look like if you get calls and say, man, I need to give my life to Jesus. What do I do? How do I do this? What? And you just saw revival burst out. That's what we need to see. That's what we need to see. So as we go through tonight's message, let us compare Jacob's renewal to our own moving forward in 2020. So Captain Obvious says, what's the first question we've got to ask, Bethany? The first question is, so what is revival? What is revival? Well, according to a 1986 book by James Packer, he writes this, quote, Revival is the visitation of God which brings to life Christians who have been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. Thence springs a vivid sense of sin and profound exercise of of heart in repentance, praise, and love with an evangelistic outflow. This is what he writes. He goes on to continue to write, listen, Each revival movement has its own distinctive features, but the pattern is the same every time. First, God comes. He says, on New Year's Eve, 1739, John Wesley, George Whitfield, Whitefield, and some of the other uh, friends held a love feast. That's what they called it, which became a watch night of prayer to see the new year in. About 3 a.m., Wesley wrote, The power of God came mightily upon us insomuch that many cried for exceeding joy and many fell to the ground, end quote. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? He says, this is a, first of all, God comes. He says, revival always begins with the restoration of the sense of closeness to the Holy One. Well, James Packer goes on to write, second, the gospel is loved as never before. The sense of God's nearness creates an overwhelming awareness of one's own sins and sinfulness. And so the power of the cleansing blood of Christ is greatly appreciated. So first, he says, man, we we what? First, God comes. And second, guys, the gospel is loved like never before. He says, then repentance happens or repentance deepens, he says, in the Ulster revival in the 1920s shipyard, workers brought back so many stolen tools that they had to build sheds, had to be built to house the recovered property. So what he says is repentance results in restitution. And then finally, he says, the spirit works fast. Godliness multiplies Christians mature, 
converts appear. Paul was at Thessalonica for less than three weeks, but God worked quickly, and Paul left a um, just a beautiful and wonderful church behind him in Thessalonica. End quote. That's what James Packer writes. I thought that really summed up exactly what, what Jacob is about to go through. But when it comes to Jacob, I want you to put your thinking caps on, church. Spiritually speaking, think about where Jacob is right about now. You go, where's that? Well, unfortunately, he's like where a lot of people are. Well, where, Pastor? Well, Jacob was far from God at this point. See, wrap wrap your minds around this. Jacob knew a lot about God. Jacob wrestled with God. But he had never fully devoted himself to God until now. See, revival happens, guys, when we when we come back to God. And I love the fact that God called Jacob back to Bethel. If it wasn't the fact that Jacob woke, and it wasn't the fact that Jacob woke up one day and said, "Hey, I think I'll follow the Lord. I've been kind of wandering a little bit." No, no, no. See, it was God who called Jacob back to Him. And here's what I want you to write down in your notes: God initiated this revival. Okay, very important for us in our in, in, in our lives today. Why? Because we can see that although the world is moving in a certain direction, we can see God initiating a revival in our land even today. It's God who does that. So God calls Jacob, right? And here's my hope. My hope, my prayer is that we would hear God calling us back to him. And we would begin to see revival in the land. Okay? So you go, well, Ben, okay. Okay, cool. Um, Let me give you a second question. Okay. What was the first question? What is revival? Number two, how does revival begin? How does revival begin? That's a good question, okay? Because let's, let's just, let's, let me just tell you what it isn't. Revival is not something we produce or conjure up, okay? It's not something, oh, I just want to do it, right? Remember, it starts with God as he begins to speak to our hearts and then he does something deep in our souls. Well, Ben, I'm going to need a little bit more. Well, how about we do this? I've preached this several several times, and let me illustrate it this way. This is how revival starts, okay? We oftentimes want to see revival, and we want to go out, and we want to do our part. We, uh, we want to feel like we need to help somebody. We need to feel like we need to, we need to be there for somebody. But, but here's what we need to do. If we really want to see revival, here's what you should do. You ready? You draw a circle on the ground, okay? Draw a big circle on the ground. Step into that circle, and then revive everything in that circle. That's how revival starts. See, sometimes we think revival has to come with me doing this and me doing that, and I have to go there, and why aren't these people listening to me, and I want to help people and so forth, but I really believe, guys, that, that here's what we need to do. We need to, we, we need to not worry about the family, about our neighborhood, about our city, our state, or our world. All we have to do is revive everything in that circle. That's all we have to do. Just revive that circle. So that's where we're going to pick up our study tonight. In Genesis chapter 35, look with me in verse 1. I love it because verse 1 says, Then God said to Jacob, chapter 34, no mention of God. 
murder, deceit, lust. You guys know the whole deal. But then chapter 35, oh, thank you, Lord. Then God to say, okay, Lord, what, what are you saying to him? He says, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. Now, before we dig deep into this, let me just remind you, do you see that God sees everything? He, he knows everything. And so when, what, what jumps out to me in verse 1 is God's like, hey, go to Bethel. This was the place that, that, what, that you fled from when Esau was there. And I'm thinking, was God there? Of course he was. And of course he sees everything. Okay, so just kind of keep that in mind. But the first thing I want you to notice, okay, the very first thing is God is the initiator of revival and man is the responder. Okay? God spoke. I love that. I love the fact that the very first line is God. What is he telling Jacob? Here's he's ready. Arise and go to Bethel. Now, remember, okay, guys, jot this down if you hadn't. Bethel was the place where God confirmed the Abrahamic covenant to Jacob way back in chapter 28. Let me give you a hint. It was about 30 years earlier. He was on his way. And he says, here's the Abrahamic covenant. Now, at the time, Jacob was 30 years younger. He didn't get it. He's just like, I got to get away from Esau. He's going to kill me. Ah! And he runs away. But this is what he says. Now, another note, guys, and just so you can kind of, um, if you were to look at Shechem, Shechem is right in the middle. Um, if you go to Israel today, you can't really get to it. It's it's um, you have to have a special driver. It's 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 part of the West Bank, and 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 it's it's still there. Jacob as well is still there, but tour buses don't go there. I've been to Israel three times, can't go to Shechem, but you can go to Bethel if you're taking note. Just drop down about 15 miles south, and this is where Bethel is. This is where Bethel is. So he says, Jacob, listen, you're hanging out in Shechem. This this is crazy. I want you to go to Bethel. I want you to go to Bethel. Now, if you're taking notes, guys, Bethel actually means the house of God. So God's saying, you need to go back to the house of God. And here's what I wrote down. You ready? Revival starts with coming back to the house of God. Revival starts with coming back to the house of God. Now, here's what we need to do, guys. You need to pray for our brothers and sisters. Pray for our brothers who they're not allowed to do church. Here's why. Listen, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says this. Let us not neglect the meeting together as some people do, but to encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So the word of God declared to us, we need to be meeting. We need to be gathering together online. Thumbs up. But that's not where it's at. We need to be gathered together. We need to be, we need to be uh, loving each other, encouraging each other. That's what the church is. Now, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying right now, my brothers in California cannot meet. My brothers in the state next door to me in New Mexico, man, they're trying to negotiate a time. And, and I've talked to several of them that have said, Pastor Ben, we're going to meet no matter what. We've got to. And, and, and my brothers in, in Illinois, they're talking about not meeting for a whole year because of this. 
there's going to be a lot of pastors probably put in jail because they say, we've got to meet. We've got to meet. Why? Guys, revival, revival, revival starts with returning back to the house of God. Now, listen, I know we are limited to what we can do in the building right now. I know we're limited to, hey, what, what ministries we can do. I get it. Listen, I, I want to do what the Bible says, okay? I want to come under the authorities that God has placed in my life. Until they tell me that I can't preach the gospel anymore or we can't do church. But right now they're saying, you can do church. I thank God for our governor. I thank God that, that he says we can do church. But I'm still going to respect and honor their authorities because, here's why, because I love you guys, and I don't want any of us to be sick. You go, well, Ben, haven't you read the data? Haven't you seen this? Listen, I just, want, I just love you, and, and, and I want all of us here. And listen, I'd love this place to be packed out three times over because revival starts in coming in the house of the Lord. But let's do it God's way. Let's do it God's way. I think he'll bless us that way. Let's do it God's way. Now, one of the things we learned, guys, do you guys remember on, on Sunday, we learned that, again, that um, the building is just a tool. But we've got to come here for this reason. The Bible says that we need to what? To learn and be equipped so that we can do the work of the ministry. Okay? So you come here, you sit on these blue chairs, you receive the teaching of the word of God so that you can do the work of the ministry wherever you go. I think it's a brilliant plan. I think God knew what he was doing when he said, okay, I'm going to equip you here, and then I'm going to send you out. Somehow we, 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 we messed it up. Somehow we thought, well, the pastor has to do all the hospital visits, and the pastor has to do this. And the... Actually, what he tells me is that I am the equipper, and then everybody goes out and does the work of the ministry. Everyone goes out and does the work of the ministry. Now listen, when we come back to the house of God, revival. I want revival. Do you want revival? Revival starts with a true encounter with God. Okay, this pandemic is what they're calling it. We need to see with spiritual eyes, and it should cause us to seek the living God. It should cause us to long for a face-to-face encounter with him. It should cause us, listen to me, a fresh outpouring of his Holy Spirit. That's what it should do. Let's be careful. Okay, okay, let me just step over here. I understand that tensions are high. Day 64, are you kidding me? I understand. We wake up, we get the same information, but intentions are high because, I mean, just all the stuff that we have to deal with. I, I, I understand that. I understand that. But, but Lord, help me to put on spiritual eyes so that I can have a fresh encounter with you. Lord, help me to put on spiritual eyes so that I can just have the fresh feeling of God's Holy Spirit. So many times I've prayed that the Holy Spirit would just fall afresh on us like never before. I would love that the, those, those, those brown doors open up and just, just like in the day of Pentecost. That's what I would definitely, definitely pray. Well, it goes on in Genesis uh, 35. Notice in verse 2, he says, And Jacob said to his household, and to all who are with him. He says, put away your foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go to Bethel. I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have 
gone. Beautiful. This is God's holy word. Now, here's what I want you to notice with me. Guys, what does he do? Jacob calls for a cleansing and a purging of all remnants of heathen worship, including idols. Guys, okay, guess what? God spoke to me. Okay, here's what we need to do. It's time to, it's time to, it's time to put away the foreign gods. It's time to, wait, to put away the teraphims. It's time to put away our idols. This is what he's saying. He's saying, listen to me. You don't understand. The God who answered me in my distress, he's, he wants us to do this. And here's what I wrote on my notes, guys. You ready? You want true revival? True revival starts with the purging of idols. You go, what does that mean, Ben? The putting away of anything that has taken place, uh, anything that has taken the place of the one true God. We need to put that away. Idols. Idols. Now, let's let's talk. Let's talk for just a moment about idols, okay? Because we all have idols. And in, in, in I believe that it's our goal as, as believers to, to praise the one true God and worship him. Can I get an amen? You go, amen. All right. But the problem is, is that many people have idols in their hearts. And the thing about it is that it's a subtle thing in our lives, but they're there. They're there. You see, Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit God, writes that our hearts are idol factories. And if we would just take a moment to look deep in our hearts, we would discover that we have been taking things that are good and making them ultimate. That's an idol. Things that are good and making them ultimate. You go, Ben, what are idols? Help me, help me. Okay, you ready? Anything more important to you than God is an idol. Anything that absorbs your heart, your imagination, more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give, that's an idol. Think about it. Think about it, guys. Okay? Idols, guess what they do? They give us a sense of being in control, and we can locate them. How? Just by looking at our nightmares. You go, what? In other words, you can jot this down if you want to. What do you fear the most? What do you fear the most? In other words... What, if you lost it, would make life not worth living? That's an idol. And I wish I could sit up here and say, guys, you know what? You need to, you need to purge. I mean, I had to check my own heart. And I had to look at, I mean, I had to ask myself these things. And I know there's some things in my life, guys. I know there's some things that I'm just like, <gasps> What, what if we lost it would make life not worth living? See, guys, our culture is filled with idols. And, and, and we take something so good and we make it supreme. Now, for the sake of time, I can't dig into this very deep, but let me, let me just talk to you about some common idols, okay? This is from Tim Keller's book, but listen, if you're taking notes, he says we all have surface idols, and then we all have source idols, okay? We have surface idols, and we have source idols. 
Okay, Eagle Ben, what's the difference? Well, a surface idol is exactly that. It's things on the surface, okay? It's kind of like the crabgrass I have at my house, okay? Um, it looks like grass. It's very hard to kill, and so what we do is it looks like grass, so we just mow over it. It's on the surface. It's, that's kind of what a surface idol is. You can see it. It's very hard to kill, but this is even worse. A source idol is the ones buried deep in our hearts, we often tell ourselves this, you ready? Life only has meaning. I only have worth if, and then you can name your idol. If you have a hobby that you've taken, and it's a good hobby, it, and you make it ultimate, for example, for example, lifting weights, exercising. Okay, there are times when we can take something really good because exercise is good, lifting weights is good, you know, getting strong, you know, feel like Rocky, all of that stuff, right? Boom. Did did you catch that, Adam? I I used Rocky. I know you like Rocky. Um, but anyways, um, it's a good thing. But if we make it ultimate, guys, then we make it. An, uh, well, listen, if I can't go to the gym, life isn't worth living. What? If I can't work out five times, you guys see, you see, and I'm just using, I'm just using that as an example, but, but here, here it is. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if, and then you can name it now. Here are some idols I think we should never worship. You ready? Family and children. Family and children, those are so good. Be careful not to make them ultimate. Career or making money. you saying that having a career is bad? I'm saying don't take something good and make it ultimate because then it becomes an idol. You go, well, come on, man. No, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a source idol. It's deep in your heart. And, and people applaud you. Man, you're doing good. Yeah, up, climb that corporate ladder. Yeah, I'm climbing that corporate ladder. I don't know why I did that. But nonetheless, um, you know, I mean, just think about it. Don't take something good and make it ultimate. Um, achievement, never worship achievement. Or critical acclaim or saving face. Never worship social standing. Never worship relationships. Relationships are good. They're God-approved, but don't make them ultimate. Don't make them ultimate. Now, now here, here's the thing. There was a precious, precious man, precious man who lost his wife. I think they were married like 70 years, I mean. And she lost his wife, and all he could do was just think about his wife. And I can't wait to be with her. I can't wait to go home and be with my wife. I can't wait to go with my wife. And, and, and I mean, he loved her. As a matter of fact, this man um, actually died on the same day she died visiting her grave several years later. And he was like 94 or something. But the thing that broke my heart is that you can't take a relationship, how good it is, and make it ultimate. And I'll tell you why. I love my wife to death and and... And, man, there's, there is no other. But I'm excited about Jesus. I'm excited about going to see my 
my Lord and my Savior. Now, listen, I've got my dad already in heaven. I've got my sister, and I've got my mom in heaven. And people say, man, you're going to get to see them. And I think, yes. But more importantly, the one, I want to see the one who died for me. Because I don't want to take a relationship and make it ultimate. My Jesus has to be ultimate. My Jesus has to be the only one. Don't worship peer approval. Don't worship skill, security. Don't worship comfortable circumstances. I'm guilty. I like things comfortable. I don't like things. I want things on cruise control. Let's just go down the highway, but be careful not to worship that. Don't worship beauty or brains. These are things that God gives us. Guys, don't worship social causes, and please don't worship Christian ministry. These could be source, deep idols that God wants to to break from us. See, here's something you can relate this to. These are good things, but they make terrible gods. These are good things, but they make terrible gods. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, Paul writes to us. He says, therefore, God has also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, guys, that sometimes with idols, he says, we reverse the creative order. We start to worship the creation, and not the creator. Deep stuff. Deep stuff. Now, got to get back in Genesis or we'll be here all night. Genesis chapter 35, verse 4, um, he continues to write, so they gave Jacob, who did? Their family gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands, their earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which is by Shechem. Now, let me tell you this. Revival is starting to happen. How so? In your minds, God initiated the revival, but man needs to obey. Man needs to obey. Why? Because revival cannot be organized. Revival cannot, we, we, we can't organize. Okay, let's go. Everybody gather together. But we can set our sails to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow on his people once again. Guys, that's what we need to do. We need to be willing to be obedient. Okay, do you hear it? Do you hear? It's ready. Let's go. I want to be ready and obedient. I don't want to be disobedient. I don't want to be when the winds of revival start to blow. No, I don't know. I don't know. Is this God? Is this God? I don't know if this is God. And, 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 and so I want to be ready. Because what did they do? They brought, all of their, they brought all of their stuff. And what did Jacob do? He buried them under the terebinth tree. And I thought about this, guys. Revival happens when we obey the Lord and bury our idols deep out of sight. You see, there is something that happens to to our human heart when we obey God. There's something that happens. It sparks a cleansing, a renewing, a drawing closer. What it really does, it sparks revival in our hearts. And if you're taking note, jot this down. Radical obedience to dad who is obedient. Did you see that? They saw Jacob 
in radical obedience, and they became obedient. I don't have to tell you that dads, we have a tremendous responsibility to be the spiritual leader and to be the one leading our family. Our, our, our wives and our children, they will see our radical obedience to the Lord and they will follow. And again, it's radical obedience. It's not just like, hmm, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a Christian. Yeah, no, I'm not. It's, I'm going to do what God, oh, revival, yes. Yes. Now, as they journey from Shechem to Bethel, verse 5 indicates that God is protecting them. Look at verse 5, guys. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So what did he do? God restrained the Canaanites from avenging the Shechemites. Right here, they just murdered a bunch of men, and 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 Jacob was freaked out. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be hunted all my life. In verse five, he, what did he say? He said, "God is going to protect you." Listen, they might attack you, but God will fight for you. And I think that's such a great a great message for us today. God's gonna perfect, He's gonna protect us. He's gonna protect us. My question to you is, do you believe that? Do you believe he really will fight for you? I got to be honest with you. There are times in my life, over the span of my life, where I've had my doubts. Is God going to fight? I, really, I really hope so. Now, why wouldn't he fight for you? He would fight for you, not for your sake, but for his name's sake. Oh, Ben, you're preaching deep tonight. Amen. Look at verse 6. So Jacob came to Luz. Everybody say Luz. That is Bethel which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there, and he called the place El Bethel, which, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now, jot this down. Revival happens, listen, when we return to the place of our first love. Revival happens when we return to the place we once knew. Our first love. I know what you're thinking. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. It's the church at Ephesus. Do you guys remember the church at Ephesus? They were doing everything right. They were podcasting. They were on the radio. They were live streaming. They had everything down. The problem was is they had left their first love. They weren't in love with Jesus anymore. And this is so profound. It actually says, the Lord rebukes him and he says, remember therefore where you have fallen. Repent and do the first work or else I will come and quickly remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. And a really simple acronym we could follow is remember, repent, return, revival. Remember. Oh, I remember when I was so in love with the Lord. Guys, I don't know if you did this. But when I first got saved, man, I used to sleep with my Bible under my pillow. I used to just hold on to it. And I would read it before I went to bed. I, would, I had no idea what I was reading, but I was like, this is God's word. This is so cool. I remember I was so in love with the Lord. I remember that I would want to witness to everybody. I remember no matter who you are, I felt the spirit of God. Oh, go tell them about Jesus. Tell them how wonderful. And I'd go and, and, and we'd be sitting at the, we'd be sitting at the, at the big boy and, uh, the waitress would come up and we'd, we'd start ministering, ministering to her. You guys remember that first love? Do you remember why you did it? Do 
you remember when you were so in love with Jesus? He says, remember that. He says, repent right now where you are. Turn and go back. Return to me and you'll see revival. That's what Jacob does. He comes to Bethel. Notice what he does. He brings all the people with him, and he builds an altar, and he calls the place El Bethel. You guys know what that means? It means the God of the place. I mean, in other words, the God of the house of God. And we have a big amber alert. It's an amber alert, yeah, right in here on my phone. See? Thank you. Yeah. Revival happens, guys, one of the things too, guys. Revival happens when? When we have true worship. Pastor, I'm not sure what you mean. Guys, true worship is, according to this verse, a face-to-face encounter with God. That's what true worship is. I mean, think about it this way. In modern terms, God was, was wanting to face, God is wanting to FaceTime with you. He wants to see you. True faith starts, true, true worship starts now. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, Jacob comes, he builds an altar, and there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. So there it is, true worship. Now, it seems like as the narrative goes on, we have a, a, a parenthesis in the narrative. How so? Well, look at verse 8. It says, now Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried in Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Elon Bakuth. Okay, so out of verse 8, it's like, okay, so we're talking the story, we're kind of chugging along the tracks, and then it's just like, oh, by the way, Deborah died, and she was buried here. And I was just like, okay, this is interesting. Okay, it's just out of the blue. And so I looked and said, I'm not sure why this is, but... And you go, what would you find out? I'm not sure why he put it in there, just like this. It's just a parenthesis. But what I do know is, and this is for my Bible students... Alian Bakuth means the oak of weeping. So she's buried under the oak of weeping. Thank you for this. We'll come back to you next week. Look at verse 9. Then God appeared to Jacob again, and when he came from Badanaram and blessed him. Verse 10. And he said to them, Your name is Jacob. You shall be called, you shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. And so he called his name Israel. Okay, so let's dissect this. Let's unpack it. God appeared to Jacob again. If you look at the Hebrew phrase that's used here, it could indicate that God appeared to Jacob during or upon his return to Bethel. Right? With, right? Um, this would indicate that the narrative, starting in verses 9 to 13, it records a new divine encounter with God that brings together various moments in Jacob's life. So you go, okay. Um, how, how, where do you get that from? Well, I go back and I said, then God appeared to Jacob and he uses the word again. And I was like, okay, why are you using that word again? When did he? And, and, and so I looked it up and it would refer, it would actually prefer back to the earlier encounter, such as in chapter 32 at Peniel or even guys 30 years earlier at Bethel when he was coming, when he was leaving. So you have Bethel 30 years earlier. And then he wrestled with him at Penuel, and so now it says, and then God appeared to him once again. Now, the one thing that comes to mind, it just jumped out of the picture. Look at it, guys. The one thing that comes to mind is I thought we cannot expect past experiences with God 
to move us to what he wants us to do. You go, what do you mean? Jacob can't sit here and go, man, back 30 years ago, boy, God was really moving in my life. Oh, back in chapter 32 at Peniel, I wrestled with God. He's really, what we need today, guys, think about it. We can't, listen, God moved mightily in our lives, but what does he want to do today? Oh, we need a fresh feeling of what God wants to do. I don't want to depend on, oh, well, that was yesterday. That was the past. Remember, hey, so remember when God moved really good? Hey, so remember? Yeah, Ben, I remember. I want to go, hey, man, what is God doing today? Let's see. Because I need a fresh infilling. This is how revival is going to start. Guys, we cannot live on our past of what God did. I, I can't expect my past experience of God to move us where he wants us to do. We need to have a fresh encounter with him. We need to have a fresh encounter. If you agree, type in amen. I want to see a bunch of amens. But that's, that's um, here's the point, right? God is all about the present, okay? What he wants and what he plans to do today. Here's our job. You ready? Let's just get in line with him and what he's doing. Let's line up what we're doing with what he's doing. This is what needs to happen, okay? This is what needs to happen. Well, you can see, and you can just take note real quick, God enforces the name change, okay? He says, no, 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 see, you're you're called Jacob, and I'm calling you Israel. This is what I'm going to call you. You're not a deceiver, heel catcher anymore. You are named God rules. God rules. And then we come to verse 11, and it says, And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Okay? Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you. And kings shall come from your body. And the land which I gave Abraham, Isaac, I give to you. And to your descendants after you, I give you, to, I give you this land. Then God went up from him in a place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him and a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it, and Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. Guys, this is, this is just so, this is so cool. What, what is God doing? God is going, hey, listen, I want to remind you of the Abrahamic covenant. I want to remind you of my promises. The land, and now, now think about it. Here's what God is telling Jacob. Jacob is saying, first and foremost, Jacob, a king's going to come from your body. What king came from, from Jacob's body? Well, my king Jesus, for one. Okay? So that's, that's the one that jumped out at me, obviously, through the lineage of David and the several kings. But, but think about it. My, my king, Jesus. He says, the land. The land, think about Israel today, guys, the land that the Jews are in. He says, I'm giving to you, Jacob, and to your descendants. This is your land. And in the year 2020, we seem to be fighting over what land is whose and whose land is what and what borders are where. Nobody wants to look at the biblical borders because that would include Iraq and all of what God had given to Israel. But we're talking about revival. And so what we need to note is revival happens in our lives, guys, when we cling to the promises of God. You see, God once again declares 
what's this? God once again declares the covenant he made with Abraham. Listen, this is going to be yours, man. And revival is that the sovereign work of God in which he visits his own people and restoring and releasing them into the fullness of his blessing. We want to hold on to that. Let me just encourage you here, guys. In a world that's gone crazy, in a world that's gone mad, hold on to the promises of God. Cling to that. Cling to that. When when life is so stressful, man, and people are just out of control, just remember, it's about him. It's about him. In revival, when it comes to revival, what do they say? Draw a circle, step in it, Revive everything in that. What does that mean? What, were, what did you used to do when you were so in love with Jesus, when you read your Bible all the time, when you were, when you were so pumped out, man? What did you used to do? Keep doing that. You go, Pat, you go, Ben, I'm still doing that. Amen. Keep doing that. But if you feel like, man, I'm a little dry, I'm a little, I'm a little tired, I feel like I'm, I'm miles away from God. Guys, draw the circle, say, God, revive everything in this. Revive me. Revive me because I feel dead sometimes and I feel so far behind and I feel like Jacob. I feel like I hadn't walked with you so close. And, and, and here's what happens. Revival in the minds of the people, guess what? They're concentrated upon the things of eternity. And there's an awareness that nothing else matters. That's a revival. That's revival. Okay. So let me close, okay? Let me close with this. And it's a very short close. So next week, what's that? We're going to cover the remainder of chapter 35. Here's why. I was planning on doing, guys, all of, all of 29 verses, but I saw so much in just the first 15 about revival and how this looks, okay? Now, I've got a point I want to make, but let me just backtrack for just a second, okay? So... We're in a world that's gone crazy. We're in this world. I believe God wants to bring revival with it. Please, I'm begging you, don't don't fall away. Don't, Don't become indifferent. Well, yeah, see with spiritual eyes the return of the Lord and what he's doing. Let's be careful not to get caught up with all of the stuff. I mean, we've got technology, we've got all of that. Yes, we do, but don't get so caught up in it that we forget the human factor and that we've got to reach people for Jesus. This is where we are. This is where we live. This is where we live. But next week, next week, next week we see some sad things. Why? Well, we learned tonight that Deborah died, Rebecca's nurse. And next week, we're going to see that Rachel dies. This is Jacob's wife. And then we're going to see that Isaac died. This is Jacob's dad. And you go, okay. Well, here's what I want you to jot down. Here's what I want you to ponder till next Wednesday. You go, what's that? It reminds me of this truth. 
even in the midst of obedience, life still happens. Life still happens. Even in the midst of revival, Jacob is like, yeah, Jesus. Life still happens. And here's my point. Even though that God wants to bring incredible revival in our own lives and in, and in the church and in our city and in our state and even our world, guys, you can see this is a worldwide pandemic. Some beautiful Christians are still going to get sick. And some beautiful, obedient, loving saints are going to die. And it may not be from COVID-19. It may be from cancer. It may not be from, I have no idea, but I do know this. We have to be so, listen, life is so precious, church. Listen to me. I was on my way home. And there was a horrible wreck right under the, the, the 289 in, in Indiana. Horrible, oh, goodness. And, and that was just, I mean, I mean, life is so precious, we just don't know. And so even in the midst of obedience, life still happens. You go, Pastor, what should I do? First of all, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, Draw a circle. Step in that circle and revive everything in that circle. Feel the presence of God again. Feel his breath on you. Weep. Let the Holy Spirit fill you like never before. If you're not a Christian, then give your life to God. Jesus bankrupted all of heaven to come down and to die for you. But it's up to you. And as you're watching online, and, and right now probably things are being distracted because, because, I mean, amber alerts are going off and all this kind of stuff because here's the most important part. Listen, if you're not a believer... I'm asking you today, do you want to be? Will you open up your heart and invite Jesus inside? Will you, will you repent of your sins and will you follow him all the days of your life? And I know you're looking at me and you say, man, I feel like I'm, a, I'm oceans away from God. You don't understand, but I do understand because I was there, but I'm also, I was also one decision just to come back to him and to ask him to cleanse me and to forgive me because he is a God of forgiving. He's a, he's a forgiving God. He's a compassionate God. He's a God who loves you very much. And he's a God who has a plan for your life. And listen, you might even be thinking, I have no purpose in this life, but you do have a purpose. But you'll never know that purpose unless you open up your heart and invite him inside. How do I do that? It's really simple. You say, Lord, come into my heart. I, I, I'm a sinner. I agree. I agree with what Pastor Ben said. I agree with your word said. I, I'm a sinner, and, and, and I see all of this stuff going on in the world, and I, I don't think I'm right with you. I don't have a relationship with you. My, my friends at work think I'm a Christian. My family thinks I'm religious, but 
don't think I have a relationship with you, and I want one. So I'm asking you, God, forgive me of all my sins, God. Wipe them away. Take away the guilt. Take away the shame. Come into my heart and be my Lord and be my God. Be my Savior, but, but be my friend. Because I declare today, I choose to follow you, Jesus, for forever I'm yours. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, we believe on the authority of Scripture that, that you're born again. That God came into you. He forgave you. What I need you to do is I need you to tell somebody. And if you're listening via podcast or you're listening on the radio or you're listening or you're watching online, listen, shoot me. Shoot me a comment, man. I gave my life to Jesus. I want to know. I want to rejoice with you. Oh, Pastor, I don't want to do that. People, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. This is all new. And just send me an email. Calvary Lubbock at Hotmail.com. Calvary Lubbock at Hotmail. Say, I gave my life to Jesus. I want to send you a Bible. We want to get you some resources. And we want to scream and shout and rejoice with you. So we want to welcome you to the family of God. I want to see revival. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.